You're listening to the pulpit ministry of North Life Baptist Church with Pastor Harley Snowd. At North Life Baptist Church, our mission is to encourage each person to take the steps of loving God, growing together, and serving others. If you would like more information about our church, please visit our website at www.northlife.church. Now, stay tuned for today's message. If you will take your Bibles this morning, turn to Psalm 71. Uh, Psalm 71, and we're going to look at verse 18 to begin today. And uh, this is our Vision Sunday. If you're meeting with us or being here for with us for the first time, we do this usually the first, second Sunday of the year, and have been looking forward to this for some time. Sorry for the nasal quality. You're going to uh, grow to loathe by the end of today, but uh, we'll do our best not to slobber and spit, and snot is the big enemy of this moment, okay? So we're trying our best not to gross you out with that. But, uh, or you can, if you don't want to turn your Bible, you can just look at my sweatshirt today. Any of you notice I'm dressed a little different today? A few of you were dogging me about that. Um, I'm just, you know, I just wanted to feel cool, you know, and so, um, no, but uh, I, I hope today that this day will stick with you in different creative ways that we're trying to convey that. The song we just sang, um, visuals and the things that we give you, and I uh, hope that uh, you'll pray with us as God leads us this year uh, in his will for us. I, I, here's the spirit of today and of uh, our theme this year. Um, I'm growing weary of talking about the good old days. Um, and I'm not knocking the good old days whatsoever. Many of us in this room are the product of those days. And uh, I, I'm trying my best to steward those influences and those mentors. But God is always leaning forward. And anything that's happened in the past is only good because it's a building block toward his future uh, that he has planned for us. I think it's about time that the young people in our ranks and those that will reach this year with the gospel hear about what God wants to do today and tomorrow, and if he tears his coming uh, through the end of this year, and I'm excited to be a part of that with you. Psalm 71, let's look, if you will, at verse 18. In our study today, we typically study expositorily uh, through a section of scripture. Today's will be a bit more topical in its orientation uh, as we emphasize our theme for the year. Uh, which is regenerate, regenerate, emphasis upon the word uh, generate uh, in 2023. And uh, so we'll look at a couple of principles in our time and bounce around a bit in Scripture. But look in Psalm 71, and let's look, if you will, at verse 18. And the psalmist says here, uh, go back to verse 17, O God, thou hast taught me from my youth, and hitherto have I declared thy wondrous works. Now also when I'm old... And gray-headed, O God, forsake me not until I have showed thy strength unto this generation and thy power to everyone that is to come. So we're going to look at six priorities of a church that's regenerating. We'll look at three this morning and then invite you to be back tonight at 530 as we look at the second three um, and how we can be a church that's regenerating uh, in this day. Let's pray and ask the Lord to help us today. Father, thank you for your word. Lord, each comes into this room with a unique set of burdens and challenges and, and maybe, Lord, even some fresh opportunities. But Lord, the flip of the calendar doesn't change the needs of, of this hour and the, um, Lord, just the need that we have ultimately for you, for you to show up, uh, Lord, not just in one moment or one era of human history, but to repeatedly and renew, in a renewed way to constantly regenerate us, Lord, to, to help us to be renewed in your word and by your spirit. And Lord, not just in our day, but in the days ahead, if you tear your coming, I pray that North Life Baptist Church and every person and ministry associated with it would be vibrant 
not because of our mechanisms or even our little creative things that we come up with, but because of the abiding presence and power of your spirit and the unchanging authority of your word. And I pray that, Lord, we would get a fresh sense of that today. And that, Lord, our young people in the room and others that we will encourage and connect with this year, Father, we would see you do a great work um, for your glory and your honor. Bless this study. Give me strength, Lord, and clarity of voice to be able to preach your word and to give us each what we need today in, in your word and by your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I want to show you a little clip, and there's a method to my madness. This is a painting that was done by a French gentleman. Um, his name is Sergi Cadenas. Um, that the picture shows the human aging process, okay? And I want you to watch it, and then I'll uh, make application today. But this is just a powerful illustration of how quickly life passes. <clears throat> so young gal on the left as you walk by the painting. All on the same wall. And as you move from left to right, it goes from a young, vibrant, beautiful young lady to an aged version of that same young lady. And can I just say to you, and, and age is beautiful too in its own ways, but I, I think if we're, if we're honest, life goes so quickly and we often miss the aging process and not just in our own individual lives. Like I, I think if I saw you again in 10 years, I'd probably say you look older than you today, do today, but if we saw each other every day, we might miss that aging sequence. Um, and the same is true of churches. In fact, Brother Yoder, my father-in-law was talking of a church he preached in, I think he said 30 years ago, um, and uh, drove by it this weekend, and all that's left, the buildings are run down. From what I understood, no one is using the building, and all that's left is just the sign, right? Just the sign of that church that used to be there. You know that the same thing is happening at North Life Baptist Church and every church is that we are always aging. We're getting older, and if we're not careful, we're missing certain things that we need to be working at to regenerate as a ministry for not our own benefit. This is not the perpetuation of North Life Baptist Church or the fact that it's my baby as a planting pastor or many of us that have been here for several years. It's about the light of the gospel continuing to shine, right? Even in Wayne County that has several lights in it, um, that we would be faithful until Christ comes for us and so this process of regeneration is what we want to spend our time on this day. Now, the word regenerate is a verb referencing typically a living organism that talks about regrowing, whether it's new tissue or an injured appendage, such as a crab that can regenerate a claw. In its adjective form, it refers to being reborn or being reformed. Um, especially in a spiritual or in a moral sense. And so this idea of regenerating is what we want to think about, uh, not just today, but throughout 2023. Now, I may just say this by way of caveat. We are not saying today that old is bad. Um, we're in no way espousing to that. We, we should respect, we should honor, we should learn from, we should have relationship with those that are ahead of us. But may I say today that old is not the whole story. Old is not always good, and new is not always bad, and so we need to be open to what God is doing in uh, our ministry, even here this morning and this year. We are not satisfied by default by becoming an aging, shrinking congregation. I refuse, as, as you're one of your dear leaders in this church, hopefully you view me as a dear leader, 
I truly just want to see our church be everything it should be. And if I'm ever in the way, uh, may God remove me and may he do the same to each of us. May we never be a hindrance to the continual growth and expansion of his kingdom, both here and out of uh, our ministry. And so it's not a matter of choosing between young or old. In fact, churches that strive to regenerate, every generation benefits from that commitment. So the angle today is not out with the old, in with the new. It, that, that's just as bad or worse, okay? Um, it's about all of us remembering that first we need regenerated and then also our ranks need to be replenished um, for the glory and honor of Jesus Christ. I was reading a study, one of the things that kind of got in my craw, if you will, or God laid in my heart as I was praying about um, the emphasis for this year. Have you heard that church attendance and participation is going down, to say the least? Have you read those studies? Um, across the board, any denomination, any religious orientation, uh, across the board, there are very few exceptions to this, are seeing a shrinking attendance, shrinking participation, or frequency of attendance and participation at church. And here's the common de uh, denominator. It's the shrinking of their young people's participation and attendance. Um, in fact, the study that I was reading said that according to the recent Census Bureau data, adults ages 18 to 20, so just that little window, comprise 17% of our population, um, a large chunk of our population, yet that same group represents less than 10% of church attendees. So right there, we're losing 8% just with that little window of people. And so the battle is a battle for the younger hearts and minds in our midst and in our culture and we as a church must be faithful to lean in to those responsibilities. Um, in fact, listen to this part of the study as well. 40 to 50% of youth group seniors, so these are not um, um, heathens or those who've never had exposure to church. 40 to 50% of high school seniors leave the church upon graduation. 40 to 50% that's ground zero of what we need to be working at, both individually, as families, and as a church. And so the question today is this, in a day of aging and dying churches and shrinking churches, how do we intentionally buck the trends with intentional dependence upon the Lord, so we're not talking about gimmicks here, to pass the faith, as we just sang, to the next generation in a way that outlives us. Let's talk about three cyclical commitments that we need to make as a church in the new year. And before we talk about those, I wanted to show you this little wheel. So this is not original with me. Um, I think this comes from Fuller Institute, and there's several other resources behind this. But we're going to talk about these six commitments that I feel like really help us as a church, uh, will help us as a church as we're faithful to them. So you see Jesus-centered community, and then you see these kind of spokes on the wheel. The moment we get off this cycle, off to the left, we grow old. We've got to keep doing, we've got to keep engaging in these six commitments uh, that we want to talk about um, this morning. And so we derive at least the main points from that, that image, and I hope that'll stick with you uh, in the months uh, ahead. All right, let's go to John 21. Let's talk about the first of these six. We'll talk about three this morning, and then we'll talk about three um, this evening. John chapter 21, and let's look, if you will, at verse 15. John 21 and if you would please, verse 15. So when they had dined, John 21, verse 15, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest I love thee. He said unto him, Feed my lambs. Again, the same question. 
the response of feed my sheep. Verse 17, he saith unto him the third time, Simon, <clears throat> son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, feed my sheep. The first commitment we have to make as a church in the new year, if we want to regenerate, I would submit to you is we need to unlock, the term here is, I'll explain it, keychain leadership. Keychain leadership. Before I explain that as it relates to our context, do you remember the first time that you got the keys to the family car? Like I'm talking, you're highly qualified, you just passed all these tests, you have like, like two days of driving experience and dad or mom need you to run an errand or something. You know what my glorious first run at driving on my own by myself with my newly minted driver's license was going to the hardware store to get, I think, like some screws or something for dad. That was like the most amazing 10-minute run of my life, okay? Just cruising, you know, kind of getting down a little bit, you know, as I worked my way toward the hardware, acting like I had not a care in the world. I just remember the first time that dad, get, now he wanted them back after that little stint, but he gave me the keys on my own uh, to drive. Can I say to you as it relates to the leadership of the church, if we're not careful, we hoard instead of share Obviously, with certain caveats and considerations, the keys, if you will, uh, to ministry, the keys of leadership and influence. So each of these, we're going to just exposit for a minute the text that I give you, and then we'll talk about some practical things that we as a church are asking you to pray with us about, and then maybe think about personally how you can apply this as well. So in verses 15 to 17, you notice that Jesus comes back to, G, uh, to Peter, who has failed him, all right? He was supposed to be a leader. He was a disciple. He had messed up royally, to say the least. He had betrayed the Lord. He had gone fishing here at the beginning of John chapter 21. And Jesus comes back to Peter, listen to me, not just to reconcile him to himself, but to re-engage him in spiritual leadership in ways that really are jarring, to say the least. Peter, if he had just been welcomed back into fellowship with Christ, that would have been grace, right? That would have been mercy. But Jesus also invites Peter back into a place of influence, a place of rightful influence in his kingdom and in his church for his glory and honor. Uh, in fact, in Matthew chapter 16, earlier Christ had said, um, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And, and, and uh, Jesus praises him. And then at the end of that section of scripture, he says, and I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Isn't that interesting? Not the way some would apply that text, as in he could uh, let people into God's kingdom as it relates to salvation or not, but he gave to him a place of influence in Matthew 16. Peter then fails, God instead, and Jesus, instead of writing him off, welcomes him back into leadership. Go down, if you would, to verse 18, after he gives him these admonitions, he says, Verily I say unto thee, when thou wast old, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. <coughs> Excuse me. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thine hands, and another shall gird thee up, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. This spake he, John adds this, signifying by what death he should glorify God. And so we see that Peter is to have a place of influence, and ultimately would give his life for the glory and honor of Jesus. Isn't it interesting that Jesus was willing to share the keys? 
the places of influence. Peter, in fact, was the voice preaching on the day of Pentecost that God used to unlock the door to 3,000 souls, being able to enter into and experience all that Jesus had come to deliver upon. And so we must be willing to uh, let others, specifically young others, be a part of influence uh, in and through the local church. I was listening to a podcast recently. The author of a book said this, speaking of Gen Z, and we don't have time to break down all the generations, but Gen Z would be those born from between 1995 and 2012. So that window. And he said this, Gen Z want to be a part of something really important and almost impossible. That they want to be a part of something that's really important and almost impossible. But here's the key. They don't want to just be subservient in that mission. They're willing to serve, as we see our our kids and teenagers growing into, but they also want to lead. Um, They want to lead. And so we must be willing to obviously mentor and encourage them, but also stay out of their way when God is wanting to lead through them, to lead up, if you will, uh, in their relationship and responsibilities. And just this thought as it relates to verse 18 and 19, why did Peter die for Jesus Christ? In fact, extra biblical history would say he was crucified upside down because he felt unworthy to die in the same manner as his Savior, the one that he wasn't there when he died. He betrayed him. Um, I think it was because Peter wasn't just a pawn. He was a leader, a restored leader, but a leader that was given a place of influence. And may I say to you this morning, we cannot expect the next generation to take on the risk and the responsibilities of leadership in the future if we don't start giving them some keys now, letting them lead, letting them have some of those responsibilities, bear the brunt of that yoke in their youth. And so may we be willing to be a part of what we see Jesus modeling so perfectly. Gen Z wants to be a part of something really important and almost impossible. All right, let's talk about a couple of things practically. And I think I gave you these in your outline. Number one, we need to eliminate centralized authority. <laughs> and I'll, I'll qualify this in just a moment. Eliminate centralized authority. You basically have three types of leaders, and we all are wired this way, even in our homes, and maybe if you lead in the business world, and maybe you're under a leader like this, but most leaders fit into one of three categories. First, key hoarding leaders. Have you ever been under somebody that they refuse to give you a key? I'll let you into that room, or I'll, but they're not willing to even give you for a moment access to something independently of them. They refuse to share access to others, and that's something I'm always fighting as a leader as well. Uh, Number two, you have those who are key loaning leaders. So they'll loan you a key, but make sure you get it back expeditiously. And they know how long it takes to get from where they gave you the key to that door and back. And you better be here within that window of time. And don't unlock any other keys on your, uh, any other locks on your way back. And then you have, as we're talking about this analogy, you have thoroughly key chain leaders where they're willing to take a key off their chain and even mint a new chain for you and put some keys on your ring, this is now your responsibility. This is your place of influence. Now, in the room, starting with those to my left who are younger than me and all the way to the right, and and I won't look at anybody specifically, but a few of you ahead of me, okay, in different sections, young and old to us is a very subjective term. So if I said to you, what is young? I guarantee you, it it still includes you, probably. (laughs) Uh, Number two, if I said to you who is old, it would always be people way ahead of you, right? Um, That's a very subjective term if we're not careful. The other day I came across this. This is the age 
of the men we would call the founding fathers. Now, I know it was a different day. I'm not trying to make direct links, but just listen to this. Thomas Jefferson, 33. He was the oldest of those I'm going to mention today. Benjamin Rush was 30. John Jay was 30. James Madison, 25. Alexander Hamilton, 21. Aaron Burr, 20. John Marshall, 20. James Monroe was 18 years of age when he entered into this role of being a founding father. And we are missing, brethren, we are missing privileges and opportunities to serve and make an impact because we often put an age versus just a spiritual level of maturity that Scripture is clear on. So being very careful uh, to not hoard or to only loan what should be chain-sharing kind of leadership. All right, number two, the second one, and we'll move on. Empower young people to be a part of the leadership team. So eliminate, this is the negative, the centralized authority. Here's the positive. Empower young people to be a part of the leadership team. And leadership is not, you know, reserved parking spots and name bags, badges and things. It's just a place of service. Uh, we need to empower, we need to train, we need to encourage and challenge our young people to lead and to do so in any way that God uh, would have them. This would be in my world. I'm concerned about the fact that our young people are not being encouraged to surrender to full-time ministry like they once were. And I'm not saying every teen should be. And that if you go off, the only options are you're an evangelist, a missionary, uh, or a pastor, or you're a rebel. That's the only two options. Um, at times I got confused with that as a young person. But just to give you a point of reference, the median age of a pastor is going up. So the, the middle age or the median age keeps rising. Um, three decades ago, the median age of a pastor was 44 years of age. Today, that number is 58. 58. It's a no-brainer. If we don't let young people into a growing and, and gradual sense of responsibility and leadership, we are going to age out, not just churches and not just pastors, but other areas of our life and of our legacy. And so we must be willing uh, to empower young people in a wise and discerning way not to be a part of the leadership team of our church and in our families and in our areas of influence. Is being a church leader on the radar screen of our young people, do they sense that we're open to it and we're excited about it um, in any way that we can? Um, one author said this in relation to this thought of sharing the keys. They said, if you're willing to share your influence with young people, they will trust you with their hearts, their energy, their creativity, and even their friends. Yes, it can sometimes seem more work than it's worth, but if you give them access, uh, you have the opportunity to touch a whole generation, to touch a whole generation. So let them in, let them be a part of leadership. Um, and all of us in the room, probably if we're not careful, we lean one of two ways. I'm too young or I'm too old, right? That, that's just, that, that's a common narrative that creeps into our heads and hearts. J.C. Ryle said this, Satan... Uh, says to you when you're young, it's too soon to serve God. Satan says to you when you're old, it's too late. It's too late. And listen to me, keychain leadership deals with both of those lies. Because those of you who are, quote, too old, there's a new generation to enlist and empower and train in leadership. How to raise a family, how to minister in the church, how to give your life for the cause of Jesus Christ. And the same is true of the young people. May we seize that opportunity and push back against those lies. All right, go to Mark chapter 14. Let's spend a moment there as well. 
Mark chapter 14. And let's look, if you will, at verse 50. Mark chapter 14, and let's look, if you will, at verse 50. As we continue in what some will call the hoodie sermon, okay, here at North Life Baptist Church. Mark chapter 14, and let's look, if you will, at verse 50. Mark chapter 14 and verse 50. And this is a really kind of strange story. Um, I don't know if you came across this story in your reading last year as we were working through the New Testament. I've always kind of almost like, uh, should I say, read these verses out loud? It's just kind of a weird couple of verses. But at verse 50, kind of in the middle of Christ's betrayal and his crucifixion and, and Peter's betrayal that we just referenced a moment ago, notice in verse 50 it says this, and they all forsook him. So this would be all of Jesus' followers and fled. And here's where it gets a little strange. And there followed him a certain, notice this description of him, young man, having a linen cloth cast about his naked body, and the young, man, young men laid hold on him. And he left the linen cloth and fled from them naked. Is that just a little strange? Okay, it is, okay? Um, Pastor, what's the point of bringing that up um, this morning? What's behind that? Well, I believe that all of Scripture is here for a reason, right? All of the, the, the didactic or the teaching sections, there's a purpose, as well as all the details, not over-reading into them, but the narrative portions, there's a purpose for them. So I'll talk about that in just a moment. Here's the second one, all right? Number two, we need to empathize with today's young people. And that's not being soft. That's not in any way not dealing with things that need to be dealt with, but we need to empathize with today's young people. And I would emphasize both the word empathize and the word todays. Don't empathize with just those of your generation when they were young. Empathize with the unique challenges and burdens um, that go with being a young person today. The more things change, the more they stay the same. I understand the spirit of that, but it has changed, right? At least where we live compared to where, or where we lived as a young person versus where our young people uh, live today. And so we need to give to them the gift of empathy. The other night I was telling you, I don't know if it was in the morning service, but we were playing a new game called uh, uh, Burning Kittens. Is that it, Ian? Exploding Kittens. Sorry. You can tell how cool I am, are you? Um, exploding kittens, otherwise known as burning kittens for a few of us, one of us. Um, and Ian, I don't know what was, go I think we were playing that game and Ian said, uh, guys, I got a, whatever we were discussing, he's like, I got a bigger problem. And I, I do, I did not see the build up to this. He's going to love me for sharing this to try to connect with young people here. Um, but he had, our dog had gotten a new treat, a new toy for Christmas, and it was basically a couple of ropes and then a, a not squeaky, we don't do those in our house, but like a rubber ball that he could bite on. And uh, if you know Ian, he has uh, braces. Do you know where this is going? And he had somehow, while we were, you know, Christmas break, you're just kind of doing mindless things, he got the rope of that toy stuck in his braces. And, uh, and, and, and his loving, supportive family, just, we're all just like sitting there smirking, and he's like trying to, we didn't help him, right? He got it out. Like, do you know what it feels like to get hung up with, to get caught up in the things and deal with the things that our young people deal with today? Maybe it's not, you know, not a chew toy of a dog that gets stuck in braces, but it's something else that, you know, that gets stuck in us, that gets stuck in them. And so we need to offer to them sympathy and empathy uh, in a way that reflects the spirit of Christ. Um, 
before we um, break down this text for just a moment, think of this thought. This was done uh, by a research group that does autopsies on churches that die. And they tried to come up with common denominators of what led to the death of that church. And some of them were compromise and other things that we would also be passionate about, not ever moving from Scripture, and the list goes on. But their conclusion was this. Listen to this. The most per- this is the most pervasive and common thread of every church that dies in this study done. Here's the, here's the common thread. The deceased churches lived for a long time with the past as hero. The past as hero. And because of that, and not past as in the doctrine and the faith once delivered to the saints, but we've always done it this way, and everywhere you look, something's donated to someone's memory, and the church just died because it focused on the past primarily. And so we must instead empathize with today's young people and let go of that tendency in our own hearts and minds. All right, so what in the world now does this text have to do with that? Well, in verse 50 and verse 51, we see that this is unique to Mark. So no one else includes this part of the story of the crucifixion except for Mark, which is interesting. And the reason I say that is because most commentators and those that I've read and the little that I've dug into this text think that it's Mark himself. Um, In fact, if you go back earlier in the text to verse uh, number 14, it talks about this good men of the house that basically is hospitable and, and, and facilitates these final moments between Jesus and his disciples. He institutes the Lord's Supper. And then in verse 51, it talks about this certain young man. And Mark likely is speaking autobiographically here and referencing some things that happened during these moments in his own relationship with Christ. And basically, if I can give you a summary of it, I think Mark was woken up. So they host the meal. One of his servants likely woke him up and said, did you hear what just happened or what's going down with Jesus? And so he gets up out of bed. He quickly rushes in his impulsiveness. I got to be there. I don't know what he thought he was going to do. And so he's already in his, his, gar- his bed garment, and then uh, as he associates with Jesus, now those around Jesus that are pouncing upon him, they turn on him and they take his last remnant of clothing. And literally, he runs naked away from um, this situation. The impulsiveness and yet the zeal that this young man possessed. That over time, wouldn't you say, aged rather well. I don't know what his agenda was or how all this went down in the moment as he references here, but now we have Mark being used by God uh, in ways that we still benefit from this morning. And so the spirit of the text this morning is just to remember how hard it is to associate with Jesus Christ in our day. To be a Jesus follower in your generation, listen to me, is probably and likely not as tough as it is for them. And we must be careful not to diminish or to marginalize how much it takes to be, how exposed and vulnerable it feels to do life as a disciple of Jesus in this present world. It's not as easy, it's not as obvious as maybe it was for you and me. In fact, I was just reading a study that said that 13 to 17-year-olds are more likely to feel extreme stress than their counterpart adults. Uh, much more likely to feel extreme stress. Even more alarming is that the adults closest to the young people are often blind to their heightened levels of stress. They don't even sense it. So they have more stress than us. And stress is a subjective thing. It's based not upon what's stressing us, but how we're processing it. It's just like trauma. 
And then those that claim to care for them and lead them are oblivious to the things that they're navigating on a regular basis. And so may we be willing to appreciate uh, and be empathetic toward today's young people. All right, let me give you a few applications on this. Number one, eliminate a judgmental response. We talked about this in the Q&A earlier today. Eliminate a judgmental response toward those around us, specifically to young people. Um, Here would be a rule of thumb. I like this rule of thumb, and it's checked me sometimes, and it's convicted me even in prep for today. Don't complain about young people if you're not willing to reach them and disciple them. Don't, Don't say anything. If you're not even willing to reach them and disciple them, say nothing. Because there we're falling into a judgmental response. Instead, invest in them. When have you ever been? Who in this room was criticized into personal relationship with Jesus Christ? Not me. I didn't get saved because I got criticized and critiqued. And I haven't grown spiritually because I got criticized and critiqued. Maybe constructive encouragement, but loving and empathizing and losing uh, this judgmental response. Even when they're wrong, first strive to connect and then correct. Those who connected with me, then I gave them the privilege of correcting me. But I had to start with connecting. Um, Start with connecting, then lead to even if there is some rebuke or correction that likely needs to be done. Um, And when we do that, it leads them to have a greater sense of empathy um, themselves. Greater sense of empathy. I wanted to read a little excerpt from a book I was reading um, that I, (laughs) excuse me, I think illustrates this lack of judgmentalism that we need. Pastor, if I raise my finger, will God know which one I'm going to raise even before I raise it? 13-year-old Steve attended church every week with his parents. This particular Sunday, he had stayed after the worship service to ask his pastor this pressing question. The pastor replied, yes, God knows everything. Haunted by the plight of African children suffering from dire famine, Stephen went on to pull out a Life magazine cover depicting two children tormented by starvation. He asked the logical follow-up question, well, does God know about this and what's going to happen to those kids? The pastor gave a similar token response, Steve, I know you don't understand, but yes, God knows about that. And then the author asked these probing questions, if you were Steve, would you be satisfied with the pastor's answer to your question? Steve wasn't. He walked out of his congregation that day and never again worshiped in a Christian church. The good, even remarkable news is that Steve was drawn like a magnet to the faith community and his pastor specifically for answers to the dilemmas that most troubled him. The bad, even tragic news is that his pastor's short-sighted response repelled him from from the faith community permanently. Even more disheartening is that the pastor failed to grasp the question behind Steve's question. Similar to the young people in your congregation, Steve wasn't merely asking an existential question about the nature of suffering. Likely behind Steve's rather uh, random inquiries about children in Africa were more personal questions about life and faith. Perhaps Steve wondered why God would allow the suffering he himself had experienced in his 13 years, which included bullying at school, financial struggles at home, and painful dysfunctional relationships with his parents. As Steve was trying to make sense of the pain in our world, he wanted his pastor to understand and to help him make sense of his own pain. Maybe you have a heart of, maybe you have a heart of Steve. His last, maybe you've heard of Steve, sorry. 
His last name is Jobs. Steve Jobs, founder and CEO of Apple. And then the author said this at the end. He said this analogy, I love this. Young people like Steve who swim in the deep end of challenging cultural and developmental questions often view the church as merely splashing around in the shallow end. Or worse yet, they perceive us stand on the pool deck, wagging our finger and blowing a whistle at them in condemnation of who they are and what they do. That's not what our young people need. Uh, We need to offer to them true uh, empathy uh, minus judgmental responses. All right, so let's talk about the positive. Number two, step into shoes into the shoes of the next generation. Step into the shoes of the next generation. And you don't have to wear a hoodie to church or get some new style shoes. That's not what we're talking about here today. We're talking about stepping into where they are and what they deal with on a regular basis. Um, They're asking certain ultimate questions. Who am I? There's their identity. Do we see that in our day? Do the youth need some help finding their sense of identity? And in a way that's empathetic and understanding and gracious and yet firm where needed. Um, they're asking regularly, where do I fit? Where's my place? And what difference do I make? And so these big questions, uh, we need to be willing to experience and understand uh, what they're going through. And just a thought as it relates to adolescence, and maybe you found this out with like insurance, for example, or medical things. Adolescence, this is a key thought today, adolescence begins younger and goes longer. Um, In fact, if you would read most definitions of adolescence are younger than probably you're thinking of, more of the tween years, and they go to age 25 or so. So adolescence is not 13 to 18. It's actually about twice that um, in today's world. And there are a lot of factors that are a part of that, some not so good, some that we cannot avoid. But to this journey of adolescence, it has an earlier starting line and it has a further away finish line. So we have to be empathetic. As they deal with, listen, a lot of you in the room, you got married as soon as the teen years were over in in the sense of maybe 18, 19, 20. That's not life now for most young people. It's a whole different ballgame. And so we need to be willing to be understanding and empathetic uh, by standing in their shoes. Um, this, this maybe gives you a practical way of doing this. So I kind of, we picked on this pastor. I just using the illustration. I know of a pastor who he keeps in his office. Like, I don't know what you have in your office on your walls. This convicts me as I say this today, but I have in my office, like my certificates, my ordination, you know, typical things are pastors. And then a few, um, scripture things. This pastor keeps in his office, prominently featured a picture of himself as a teenager. Isn't that good? Isn't that cool? Reminding himself and the teens that he ministers to, I, I've been there. I, I've been through some things, and I, and I still have some things I'm working through. When's the last time you've thought about your own teen years? And let that be, instead of a liability, an asset to your influence in the next generation. Maybe it's don't do this, okay? A lot of us were an example of what not to do. But what did we learn, and where can we express that empathy to those that God puts in our life. And for the teens today, being open to us loving on you and giving you that empathy in a constructive manner. All right, the last verse or text today is John 6. Let's go there and spend a few moments as well. John chapter 6, one of my favorite of our day, of this day. John chapter 6 and verse 63. And I would say of the ones we've talked about so far, all of them are important, but this one I would say is most relevant and practical and needed in our day to help us regenerate as a church and pass our faith. 
to the next generation. John chapter 6 and verse 63. John chapter 6 and verse 63. It is the spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, Jesus says, they are spirit and they are life. But there are some of you that believe not, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that uh, who they were that believed not, and who should betray him. And he said, "Therefore said I unto you that no man can come unto me except to be given unto him of my Father." From that time forth, from that time, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. Then said Jesus unto the twelve, "Will ye also go away?" Then Simon Peter answered, uh, Simon Peter answered him, "Lord, to whom shall we go?" Thou hast the words of life, and we believe and are sure that thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Number three, we need to take Jesus' message seriously. Take Jesus' message seriously. Um, I think one of the things that we struggle with in our culture today is underdeveloped thinking. We just don't, we don't think. We don't seriously think. Have you ever thought about some of the things we do? that are inconsistent, like this is always bad, but then if you just change one little thing, it's actually the same thing, but you're like, this is acceptable now. I'm not talking like moral, I'm just saying something that's unacceptable socially. Um, you ever tried to give away a used mattress to somebody? How'd that go? Or sell, try selling a used mattress. You know, how'd that work out for you? Uh, we have plenty of mattress stores in our city, don't we? seems like we just yearly have to add a new one. I don't know what the deal is with Worcester. But um, what if you saw coming soon or grand opening used mattress warehouse, you know? I mean, you'd get a lot of donations, but, uh, you know, I don't know that you would have too many liquidating out of your showroom. Um, you're going to hate this because it's going to ruin for you every time you do this moving forward. But someone said this, you cannot give away a used mattress, but we pay well over 100 bucks per night to sleep on one in a hotel. Any of you with me, germaphobes that you're always, you know, when you're in the hotel room trying to not think about who was there and all of that, um, why is it acceptable there to pay? We're not even buying it. We're just renting it, okay? So you can't buy a used mattress, but we rent them all the time. It's just funny how our, our serious thought uh, often shows that we have inconsistencies in our thinking and in our lives. Can I say to you today, our biggest issue is this. We do not take Jesus' message as seriously as we should. I know that sounds very simplistic and obvious, but I'm telling you, what he has said should move us and change us and motivate us in ways that we are not moved and changed and motivated this morning. And here's what I'm saying to you bluntly. The next generation sees that. And we wonder why they don't take Jesus and what he has said more seriously. Um, and so we need to... Uh, with God's help, grow in this area. So let's talk about quickly the text and then a few things of note as it relates to application. First in verse 63, you'll notice that he says, without the spirit, man at even his best in his flesh is unable to understand who Jesus is. That's his works and also his words. They cannot be understood without um, the spirit. And so Jesus here speaks with spirit, words that have spirit behind them and words that offer to us life. Now, when you read that verse, what do you think of? When you hear life especially, we tend to think of like just like energy. Man, the word of God, it just like no man's words. The life here does not just have, it has this idea, but it's not just infusing with power. 
It's also adding structure to our life. It's adding, here's how to live. Here's what to do and not do. This is what Jesus' words are intended to be in our lives. And so they give to us a way of life, something we have to take seriously uh, to be able to model before the next generation. Here in our church, and it's funny I'm saying this today as we're preaching more topically this morning, but we believe in expository preaching, preaching through, line upon line, letter upon letter, just working our way through a given text. Um, and, and somebody defined expository preaching as this, it is the attempt to hold a microphone, microphone to the mouth of God and just let Him speak. Just let the Word speak and let it challenge us and change us and motivate us uh, not just before the Lord, but before those that are watching. All right, verse 64, he goes on to say, for there are some of you that believe not. This, the, the, the Not taking it seriously is a big deal. This pseudo-faith that ultimately would lead to betrayal, and you see that at the end of verse 64, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were that believed not and who should betray him. And so his words are meant to be taken uh, in a very serious fashion. And I love Peter's response. We picked on him earlier, but in verse 67, after many leave Christ that don't take these words as soberly as they should, will ye also go away? Peter says to him, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And so his answer is that I choose to submit. I choose to believe. I choose to follow what you have said. Um, one of the things I see in generations, I mentioned this in our opening session today, but we have currently, for the first time in human history, seven generations living on the planet at the same time due to medical advances. And Well, I guess maybe Adam. There might be a few generations that would be the exception. I'm talking about in modern history. I guess now I can think of a few exceptions to that. But seven generations coexisting on the planet. And here's what I see a lot of, finger-pointing and pointing at others, and we know what the next generation says that's out of sync with what our generation says, but we're not taking seriously what God has said. Um, Doug Larson said this, the reason people blame things on the previous or a younger generation is that there's only one other option. And what is that? We're the reason. We're at fault. You know what it would take? Uh, we use the word revival. We've talked, about re, we've talked about renewing today and regenerating. What would it take for us to experience revival? I think it would start with me and you. It would start with we who should know better. We who should take seriously the message of Jesus in this moment, in this day, and let it have an impact on the next generation. All right, a few things of note of application. Number one, eliminate, and I'll explain this in a moment, eliminate uh, formulaic views of the gospel. So formulas, eliminate a formulaic view of the gospel where basically it's just what to do, what not to do. It's very moralistic. Um, that's kind of the feel here. Be a good person. Trust God. You'll feel better. God really isn't engaged in the day-to-day, but if you just kind of rub the genie in the bottle, then life will be great. And we've reduced the gospel to a formula when it is about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It may say to you today, our faith will not survive and will not thrive in the next generation if we use anything less than relational language. If I said to you today, stand, which some of you, that would be like your worst nightmare. Okay, everybody stare at this person as he shares or she shares something. But if I said to you, tell me who Jesus is to you. 
Um, if we're not careful how we're projecting and presenting Jesus as a very formula-based presentation when he's a real person. If you told me to talk, if I said to you, tell me about the person you love the most, you wouldn't tell me about their favorite color and, and what they, you know, I don't know, some just random things. You talk about how much you love them and why you love them and what they mean to you. Is Jesus that for us today? Because if he doesn't move us on that level, he is never going to move the next generation. It's got to get real. It's got to be personal between us and him. To be a Christian is not a set of rules. Come on. It's about a relationship. It's about walking with him and talking with him and sensing him and feeling him. And yes, surrendering to his authority and his sovereignty, all of that. But it's about a relationship. And we will never see our faith pass to the next generation where we have influence with formulas. It cannot be formulas, especially those divorced from personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Someone who knows Jesus and walks with Jesus doesn't need to be guilt-tripped into reading their Bible this year again, right? They don't need to be constantly berated to pray. I mean, at some point, either it, he's everything to you or he's not. And the same is true of those coming after us. And so eliminate this formula view of the gospel. Number two, and just as importantly, welcome young people into a Jesus-centered way of life. Welcome young people into a Jesus-centered way of life. Um, I, I've shared this before, at least online, maybe I've shared it in church, but someone defined the generational fade as follows. How do we fade from the faith? Here's the four generations. Generation one, parents don't make church a high priority for their kids. Generation two, kids grow up and make it less of a priority for their kids. Generation three, those kids grow up and make it no priority for their kids. Generation four, those kids grow up with no concept of God. That's how it goes. And so prioritizing, prioritizing, prioritizing a Jesus-centered way of life. We don't, we don't read the Bible. We don't go to church. We don't pray. We don't do the day-to-day of the Christian faith when it's convenient. Everything orbs around. Everything rotates around that core commitment to relationship with Jesus. All right, so let me give you a couple things under that. I don't think these are in your outline. Maybe jot these down. Less talk about abstract beliefs, more talk about Jesus. And it's not that I'm saying we can't talk about doctrine and we can't talk about specific things, but less talk about abstract beliefs, more talk about Jesus himself. Jesus is still a name and a person that evokes strong emotions from our world. Like when he walks over the horizon of someone's life for the first time, they have a heart-level response of either loathing and resisting him or loving him and surrendering to him. He of his own can inspire the next generation and engage them. We just have to get out of his way with less verbiage and less religiosity and just letting him speak for himself. He is compelling if we will simply give him room uh, to do so. And you will notice this, and this is tough for some of us that are a little bit older. Young people today have very little value or respect for the term Christian. But may I say to you today, they're not necessarily leaving, Christi- they're not necessarily leaving Jesus Christ in droves, they're leaving Christianity. They're tired of the hypocrisy. They're tired of, of things divorced from the spiritual realities behind them. They're not just leaving Jesus for random reasons at rates they used to not do so. It's because often we have added 
these abstract, disassociated concepts and principles that cause them to leave. Here would be the sad question. Do our kids have to leave our Christianity to find Jesus? I don't ever want that to be true of our church, do you? I don't want it to ever be true of my home. And so may we lose those things where needed to allow Jesus to shine and work and draw men to himself as he has always been more than capable of doing. All right, number two. I know these things are probably making you think today, and God will use them, I'm sure, in the days ahead. Number two. So less talk about abstract beliefs, more talk about Jesus. Number two. And this will come back to what we just said. Less tied to formulas, more focused upon the redemptive story. Less tied to formulas, more focused upon redemptive stories. Do you know that God is writing a story right now? He's writing history. He's, he's, he's doing his will, and his story is right in the right chapter, in the right paragraph. He's writing his story. And the, and the, the amazing thing is that this morning is a part of that story. The oldest person in this room to the youngest in this room and in the wing, our lives are a part of that story. That There's a bigger purpose, and so we need to point um, those who co- come after us to this redemptive story. Not only was I not criticized into converting and receiving Christ as Savior, I also wasn't given a set of formulas. Do this three times a day and, a day, and pray this every now and then. And it, it wasn't those routines and those disciplines. It was relationship with Jesus and realizing my story, my life mattered and God made me and loved me and wanted to do things in and through me for his glory and honor. Our young people don't need mindless steps to do. They need a story to get engaged with, a story that includes them, their life and their mission and their purpose and their identity. And when we give them that privilege and that invitation, God often uses that for his purpose. All right, and then the last one. This one's tough as well, but we need to hear it today. Less about heaven later, more about life here and now. And I'll qualify that. Less about heaven later. We need less of that at times. And we need more about life here and now. Um, young people, they, here be just the blunt truth. They're not talking about the rapture as much as we are, Right? Do you remember when you were in high school? God, please, I believe in the rapture and I want you to come, but would you let me get married first? Or would you let me make the varsity basketball team? Or, you know, whatever. I mean, let's be honest, right? And sometimes in our talk and in our about, man, I hope Jesus comes back tomorrow because if not, we are doomed beyond any point of return. Like, okay, thank you, dad, for that motivation. You know, we're giving off that vibe, I think, more than we realize. I'm not saying don't talk about heaven. I'm just saying the gospel has relevance to today. He told us about heaven so that it would impact us today, right? Renew our hope and comfort us and encourage us. And so it has uh, implications for the present tense, always within the context of where this eventually is heading. And so may we, com- may we be compelling in our representation of faith, not just with the promises of reward at the end, but in the transformation, the everyday joys and pleasures and even challenges that come with following Jesus Christ. Now, this emphasis does not compromise the gospel. It simply makes it comprehensive. It allows it to speak into every corner and crevice of our lives. So when we do faith together, we teach the, young, the, the next generation not just what to believe, but how to believe it, how to live it out in their day-to-day lives. As we finish today... Show you a quote in just a minute. Um, I don't know if you had a uh, some 
thing you loved as a kid. I'm a nerd, I'll admit it. I love the Alamo. Anybody know what the Alamo is? Okay. Um, I love to read about it. Um, I loved Australia. I still would love to go to Australia someday. But for some reason, I just got stuck on the Alamo and the whole story about who was there and who died and Santa Ana and they surround this little thing and they hold them off and it led to the Texas independence and all that goes with the story. In fact, when I was in fourth grade, um, this is how nerdy I was. I would get in trouble for reading biographies in class while the teacher was teaching on something else. This was me, okay, as a fourth grader. And so she knew how to motivate each of us differently. And for me, it was, if you, I can't even remember what we had to do. If you do this or stop reading your books in class or whatever it was, I will let you stay in from recess and watch a movie about the Alamo. Like, and, and it was like, and, and eat ice cream sandwiches while doing so. It was like, just like, I mean, I still can't think of anything better than that. Watching the, about the Alamo while eating ice cream sandwiches. Um, so whenever I hear about the Alamo, I always go back to my fourth grade class thinking I was special, sitting in class while all the kids are out having fun, watching the Alamo eating ice cream sandwiches. Um, but I saw this statement the other day, and this, this, is, this is good. A preacher friend of mine said this, the Alamo started out as a church, that's maybe being a bit broad in its reference, but the Alamo started out as a church, ended up as a battlefield, and is now a museum. There are lots of churches that have followed the exact same pattern. I don't want North Life Baptist Church to be that. We start out as a church, we turn into a battlefield because we get our mind and heart off the mission, and we end up a museum. Just trying to create a culture, we're trying to preserve and maintain, and the whole time we're doing so, we're losing our influence in the next generation. If we do nothing in relation to the next generation, we are doing something. We're dying. We're aging. May God help us today to be willing to prioritize keychain leadership, empathy for the youth, and seriousness about the message of Jesus. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word today.